Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. podcast and as always thanks for joining me today we're doing my favorite topic that i do on this podcast interview with an abductee this episode is with christian a 25 year old from alabama when christian was about seven or eight he believes he had an abduction experience while you listen to this interview you're going to hear that christian is very skeptical about his experience and of course other people's experiences that he hears about it's really interesting because even though he does really believe in this phenomenon and that this has happened to him, he still is always thinking about what else it could have been. I have more of these interview with an abductee segments coming up in the future. And of course, if you've had any experiences or you know anyone else who's had any experiences who would like to come forward, come on the podcast, definitely shoot me an email at paranormalthoughtspodcast at gmail and we can definitely make that happen. And of course, this also goes out to people who have any other type of contact events with extraterrestrials. So whether through meditation, lucid dreaming or any of those kinds of scenarios. Also, jump onto our blog, paranormalthoughtspodcast.wordpress.com. Christian's drawn a little digital sketch of the being he saw as a child. It's definitely something that I haven't seen before. So jump on there, have a look. And if you've actually seen something that looks similar to this or know of someone, please let me know because I'm sure Christian would really love to hear from people who have also had an experience similar to this. And just before we get into the interview, I really do appreciate the people who are listening, coming back week to week. If you're a new listener, welcome. Let me know if you enjoy this episode or any of the previous episodes. Feel free to like, subscribe, leave a review, depending on the platform you're listening on. There's going to be different options of that. Big thank you again to Christian. Doing this interview is one of the few times he's talked to someone about his experience. He's kept it very quiet because it's a very personal event. I really do appreciate him opening up and telling his story and giving us his thoughts on the abductee UFO ET experience. Thanks again. Hope you enjoy. Christian, how are you doing? Hey, what's up, man? Thanks for uh, taking the time to come on the podcast and having a bit of a chat with me. Yep, no problem at all. So, Christian, what's your background? Well, I I have a bachelor in applied computer science. I've bounced between two different schools, including Harvard X for technical mathematics. I have my applied computer degree technically from Appalachian State University in uh, North Carolina, which is the state that I'm from. Uh, I currently reside in Alabama. Um, I'm the caretaker for my two grandparents. They did some help, so kind of found my way down here. Started finding work here. 
worked a lot of retail management positions at this point, but I recently got into uh, drone photography, so that's kind of where I'm at right now. Wow, that's a very interesting background. Sounds like you've done a little bit of everything. Yeah, yeah, I've definitely bounced around for sure. So before we get into your experience and kind of break that down, how long have you had an interest in extraterrestrial life? Well, first, to kind of speak on my level of interest, I want to make one thing sort of clear. Um, I mean, my experience was, I don't know, I mean, I know there's like a, a level scale that I've seen people use before, but it was a it was a pretty harsh experience uh, for me. However, I remain a critic. I've always tried to find roots and maybe it was something different. Maybe it wasn't, you know, what it was. So I just wanted to get that out there that I'm critical of a lot of the stories that come along from other people because I've had something so harsh happened to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I can kind of tell, you know, when these stories are false. And like I said, I tried to explain my experience in something that's rooted in something else. However, it's really hard to. I'm a skeptic uh, at heart about a lot of things, including uh, extraterrestrial life, UFOs, uh, or exactly what they are. Um, I do believe they're real. I do believe a lot of people, a lot of people's reports are real. Uh, but I find that there are a lot of you know loopholes in a lot of these stories. So as far as length goes, or how long, probably. So after my experience, I was young. I was maybe seven or eight when that happened, which I'm sure we'll get into in just a minute. I mean, I never really thought about. UFOs or aliens or anything until maybe I was about 16, 15, somewhere around in there. And I shared my experience with um, a girl that I had met at school. And she said, well, you know, hey, you know, aliens, UFOs, this, this, that, and the other. It's one of those nights where we stayed up all night talking. And I just really got informed and and interested uh, at that point. For about a two to three year span, I wasn't (laughs) like I am now, a critic or a skeptic. I was down the rabbit hole. You know, I thought everything was conspiracy based and UFOs and aliens. And as I grew, I kind of realized that a lot of these things were Not necessarily baseless, but had other aspects that people were ignoring because of fanaticism. Um, So, yeah, I guess to to bluntly answer your question, maybe around 15 or 16, so about you know, 10 or 11 years at this point that I've, I've really understood, you know, there is something happening to people. It's good to hear that you are still quite skeptical because it is really easy to get down that rabbit hole where you do think everything is related to this topic or, you know, something's paranormal, but it's good to keep an open mind, but it's also really good to be skeptical, as you were just saying. Yeah, um, definitely. Especially with, um, I also had internet access come to me about that time. Um, so I feel like that's probably where a lot of that uh, rabbit hole came from, per se. <laughs> definitely. And it's great too when you talk to people like yourself who've had experiences that they are skeptical as well, because it just gives that much more evidence to sort of believe what you're hearing as well, I think. Yeah, like I said before too, it was a pretty harsh experience. But again, I try to find, specifically try to find other explanations. And to clarify so far, I have not. So Fair enough. All right, so why don't you take us through your experience? Okay, so I was around six or seven, possibly eight years old, so fairly young. We lived in what was pretty much a barn house. I say barn house lightly because it was a pretty nice house in North Carolina. Um, Two-story, painted red, like a barn. Uh So I lived upstairs, and that's where my room was. No one else lived on that floor. Uh, My grandparents were downstairs on the opposite end of the house, so it was quite a large house. I just woke up in the middle of the night and needed to use the restroom, which was down the hall. If I walked out of my room and looked to the left, I can see down the hall over the staircase and see the bathroom door. 
Directly across the hall from me was my grandmother's sewing room. And it was a fairly barren room. Um, there wasn't a whole lot in there aside from a sewing machine, which isn't in view if you open the door or anything. So I get up to use the restroom. I remember feeling strange as soon as I woke up. I looked across the hall towards the sewing room and the door was open, which was it was never open. Uh, my grandmother was a little bit OCD about always closing the doors and having the house look nice and neat. So the door was never open. If the door was open, someone was either in there or was, you know, commuting from there to downstairs or another room or, you know, someone was active in the room. This was really early in the morning because I specifically remember the night before I had had trouble going to sleep. I was watching TV or something like that. And uh, so I was up quite late. So when I woke up, I retrospectively knew it was really early at that point. So I look across the hall. There are no street lights or anything by the way. There is a window, so if you're looking straight across the hall, through the door, there's a window that's on the same facing as that door at the back of the room. Kind of a dim blue light. It's kind of hard to explain what it looked like. It wasn't moving. It wasn't pulsating. It was just a solid kind of dim blue glow coming through the window, and in front of the window was a silhouette. I didn't really process what that was. I didn't know whether it was like a thing or just like something that was in the room. Because it was just a silhouette. It was. I can remember specifically what it looked like, and I can draw it for you if you would if you would like. Uh, it was not a typical gray silhouette, as most people identify. And of course, everyone's seen drawings and pictures of grays. It did not look like that. It was more of like a hammerhead shark. I know that sounds quite silly, but its head was flat and elongated, almost in a Y shape. If you took the two tips of the Y and kind of bent them flat. Uh, it kind of looked like that. So I don't remember exactly how long I looked at it or how long I stared at it, but it began to move. It started to rock back and forth, and I couldn't tell if it was coming towards me or what it was doing, but it started rocking back and forth. I immediately got extremely frightened. I do remember that. I turned around, ran back into my room, and covered up with uh, – I had a thin sheet. I didn't have a blanket, so it was – I believe it was summertime. So I covered up with a sheet, and I remember like hiding my head below my pillow. Then I just – uh, nothing like I actually remember there being nothing. I was almost like in a, in a I hate to say a black void because it, it's, it wasn't even really a color. It was just not being anywhere. And that was only for a second or two. I mean, I, I remember it because it was such a strong, intense feeling. But then the next thing I remember is waking up and it was morning time. So in the morning, I got up. And I ran downstairs immediately. First thing I did, I ran downstairs and I told my grandparents what happened. And, you know, they were immediately like, oh, did you have a bad dream? Blah, blah, blah. And my grandmother looks at my arms and they weren't scratches. They were, they weren't burns, but they were, so I guess then I didn't realize at all what they are, but now I do. They were almost like tool marks. Like when you go to the doctor and they may scrape you with something or uh, like have a ribbon around your arm and you know, it leaves that band around your arm. That's kind of what it looked like, except it was, it looked like burned flesh. Like it looked red. Okay. But it didn't hurt. It, there was no heat like a burn. And they were very peculiar shapes. They weren't like natural, you know, scratches obviously aren't perfectly straight. Uh, these were pretty much perfectly straight with flat ends, like elongated rectangles, uh, two circles. And I think I had another like shorter rectangle on my right arm. So there were two circles on the left arm and a long, a long elongated rectangle, like I said, on the left arm. Um, the ones on the left arm were, the, were on the inside of my forearm. The other one on my right arm was on the outside of my forearm, so just up near my wrist. Uh, I no longer have those marks. They went away quite quickly from what I remember. 
but that immediately concerned my grandparents. They thought I had injured myself in my sleep. And so they took me to a doctor. And I remember by the time that we got to the doctor, uh, they were really faint. You could hardly see them. And the doctor just said, you know, yeah, he somehow got carpet burn or something in his sleep. And my family basically just gave it up to that. And to kind of give a background on my family, I love my family, but they're very conservative, Southern Bible Belt Christian types. Mm -hmm. And talking to them about something like that, it's never gone over well because they don't believe at all in these things. And it's they think it's against their religion kind of deal. So it's been um, kind of a quarrel with my family. I haven't talked to them about it in years and years, but when I did talk to them about it, you know, I tried saying, hey, I think this is something more, you know, it really scares me. And it didn't have residual effects, which I'll, I'll touch on in just a second. And uh, so it's always been a struggle to talk to anybody about it. But after that, I don't remember exactly how long of a period of time, but I couldn't sleep by myself. I was too frightened after what had happened. Normal things terrified me. Being alone in the bathroom, taking a bath, shower, even being by myself in a closed room, even though there were other people in the house. It terrified me, and I didn't want to be alone. As far as, I guess, stronger mental residual effects go, when I got older, a little bit older, I'm talking maybe 10, 11, I started seeing, not necessarily, I guess, faces, but I used to, I started, used to have dreams of lion faces, and it was so strange to me. And this has only been a somewhat recent development since I talked to someone about this in particular, which I'll get to in just a second, but they're just... Lion faces. I used to have this dream that I was running down a corridor and there was someone or something in front of me and I'm running towards it and I grab it or touch it and it turns around and then it's just, I see a lion's face and I wake up. Well, I talked to the spiritual guide uh, lady in the mountains up in North Carolina. She was a friend of a friend and she said that lions were the wishfulness to have the strength to do something. So she said that that dream means that essentially I wish I had the strength to do something, which I don't believe in all that, to be completely honest, but it makes a little bit of sense in retrospect because at that point in my life when I was having those dreams pretty regularly, it was basically controlling my life. I woke up in sweats, um, terrified, not knowing where I was, uh, not knowing really what to do. It wasn't night terrors, by the way. I've never had night terrors. I've never had any other sleep-associated issues. The faces that I would see specifically in like carpet or tile or shower curtains, I would see these shapes that almost look like faces and realizing now it, they kind of look like typical gray faces now. And so I would see these and I would freeze up, I would lock up and I would get really scared and have to have some, I would yell and have to have somebody come essentially get me out of whatever I was doing, you know, talk me down, talk to me, calm me down. And that was that. So after those spells started happening, the psychology department you know, kind of stuff started. I was taken to several different psychologists, um, psychiatrists, and they all essentially essentially were telling me the same thing that, you know, hey, this is a this is just a bad dream that you has, a bad occurrence, you know, it's not real. Um oftentimes it was really interesting. Oftentimes they would tell me when these things happened to pretend that I had a gun and to fight it, which I thought was a really terrible idea and didn't make any sense whatsoever. I know seriously, I had three different psychologists tell me to pretend I had a weapon of some kind and fight it. Yeah, it was it was really strange. 
And you know, I, I tried talk, talking to every single one, saying, "Hey, you know, this really scared me. I don't think it's just in my head." You know, I tried explaining it, and also just to reiterate the timeline that I'm in right now is this is like 12 to about 14 years old, maybe 10 to 14 years old or so, and. I tried telling every single one the same. You know, I I don't think this is in my head. I, I genuinely think that something is gonna get me. And they all told me the same thing. You know, this isn't real. You don't need to be scared. The mentoring and that that never worked. Nothing ever worked um, in that department of of things. So I guess moving forward now, like I said, about sixteen, I met someone, told them about my experience, and they kind of opened my eyes to the world of you know abductions and UFOs and aliens and that sort of thing. Oh, I'm sorry. One to back up real quick. The one specific experience I wanted to talk about was the night I was sitting there with my family, and the, a commercial came on about some kind of paranormal investigation show. I forget exactly what it was, but it was just a commercial, and up flashed an image of a typical gray. Now, the reason this is kind of interesting to me at least is at the time at this time of seeing this i didn't know what a typical gray was we had just gotten non-local access television so like basic cable we didn't have internet we didn't have anything like that i had never even seen pictures or iterations of of grays before Mm -hmm. and up flashes this picture of what i realize now was a gray i basically had a small seizure um i flopped over onto the ground had had a, a seizure and i was taken to the hospital you know, they don't know what happened. The doctor said that there were no signs that I'd even had a seizure. And it was very interesting. Wow. Uh, Yeah, I bit down on my cheek and injured my cheek really bad. And there was like a lot of blood. So it was a pretty, it was a pretty frightening experience for me at that age. Definitely. So it it was, you know, after that, realizing that, you know, skipping back up here to, I was about 16 and meeting my friend and talking and finally realizing all these things about abductions, abductions and UFOs. You know, I mentioned the whole thing about locking up and seeing faces, and for the first time, I felt secure because someone actually believed me and you know knew that something else might be going on other than just me going crazy and you know seeing things or what what have you. And for the first time in my life, I felt pretty good that I can remember at least because you know I had someone listening to me, I had people reciprocating you know my stories at this point online, reading all these people having somewhat similar experiences. And I felt all right. My situation improved a little bit. I could finally, this is, this is pretty embarrassing to admit. I mean, I had to have somebody sleep with me until I was about 16, which is pretty embarrassing to admit, but uh, it was that serious. Yeah. So up until then, I didn't sleep by myself. And then, so, you know, I finally had some freedom. Moving on from there, I was 17 and I had another small experience with a friend that I'll call Daniel for the purpose um, of this interview. We were just hanging out. We were walking around outside. It was nighttime and he lived in a cul-de-sac, so like a turnaround at the end of a road. We were just walking around and walking back to his house because we just walked up and down the road and, and talked because there wasn't a whole lot to do. Up above us, we noticed there was this, and it was very close too. We couldn't, it wasn't close enough to see the physical shape of it, but it was no more than 50 or 60 feet over the top of us. It's a very small blue light. And as soon as we looked up and noticed it, it took a very quick zigzag pattern. I mean quick, very, very quick. It took a very quick zigzag pattern away from us and then it flew straight. It flew straight over his neighbor's house and then disappeared. We ran to his house after that because we were scared. We ran inside of his house and told his dad. And to reiterate the whole Bible built Christian thing here, his parents were like that too. So we told his dad and his dad was like, yeah, I've seen those too. He thought at the time that they were ball lightning. So he, that's what he thought they were. And, you know, we told him 
how it moves. And he's like, oh, well, I've never seen one do that before. And uh, it was just, it was an interesting experience because, you know, at that time I had, you know, started doing research on UFOs and things like that. And, you know, we told him, we told him straight up, we were like, hey, you know, we think this is this, we think that we just saw a UFO. And uh, he was pretty irate about it. But interestingly enough, he kind of warmed up. And apparently he had been seeing those since he was a kid because he had lived there for so long. And so he kind of warmed up to the idea and he got some camera footage and like started taking footage. He never saw anything, but it was just an interesting time in my life because we had kind of converted someone to believing almost. And um, so like I said, it just kind of goes on top of the whole feeling positive about my situation and uh, things like that. So seeing the faces and walking up started getting better. It didn't happen as often. I was still scared. I mean, to this day, I mean, I'm, I'm 25 now. To this day, I still have some trouble sleeping by myself. The thought just bounces around in my head all the time. I feel like I'm being followed sometimes when I go to the restroom. That's all just residual of what happened. It still affects me to this day, just not as bad. And since then, I've also had a hypnotherapy session, Okay. which I was super critical um, <laughs> of hypnotherapy. Uh, the problem, my main problem with hypnotherapy is specifically with hypnotherapists that deal with abduction cases from what I've seen, they implant ideas into your head when you're kind of in the state of relaxation. They say, tell me about the alien or tell me about the UFO. You know, that, that immediately implants an idea of, well, I did my research and I found someone who wouldn't do these kinds of things. Nothing really came of it other than what was interesting. I mentioned the dreams that I'd had about running down the hallway and, you know, touching or turning whatever it was around and seeing the lion face. I had that same dream, I guess I'll say, when I wasn't actually asleep. I just had my eyes closed, was very relaxed, and had gone through the session. Um, and I had that same kind of occurrence happen to me. It scared me a little bit. Other than that, not a whole lot has happened to me since then. Um, there was also a time in my life when, you know, I told you at the beginning that I tried to look for answers as to what it was at this point in my life, other than aliens, you know, looking for a reasonable explanation to what happened to me. Um, I got into the whole spirit thing, um, you know, ghosts and, and demons and alternate dimension type stuff. You know, it, it was interesting that a lot of other people who were in that field, rather than aliens and UFOs, had had a lot of similar experiences, you know, seeing a shape that wasn't necessarily a typical described alien, per se, and then had these residual effects throughout their lives. Um, yeah, I found several cases of that, uh, people, you know, waking up or just seeing these silhouettes. That was interesting to read. Nothing too crazy similar, but it was there. Another interesting thing that I just thought about today that I actually wanted to mention, too, is my mother said that when she was pregnant with me, and I don't know how much I believe this, to be completely honest, but it was just interesting because she came out of left field with this. She is also non-believer type. She said that when she was pregnant with me, that she would every so often spot a person, just like a hooded figure almost, and she felt like she was being watched while she was pregnant. Where would she see so, the hooded figure? She didn't really say. She would just say that they would be riding around in the car with my grandparents or you know, out walking with her friends or just out and about and would just see someone. 
yeah, just right. basically in in black. So I don't again. I don't know how much I believe that um, she may have just been talking. I mean, she she tends to do that sometimes. But I just found it interesting because we weren't on the subject at all. We I was basically just at her house listening to music and relaxing, and she just came up and she's like, you know, when you were younger, I used to get followed, and I was like, what? What are you talking about? And so it was just interesting um, and baseless, which I think is why it interested me. One thing I want to go back to is you said when you were doing a little bit of research, you were coming across people who were more into ghosts and spirit side of things, having similar experiences. Have you found anything which is a little bit more related to what you think it is to do with extraterrestrials? Not really, and I've never really uh, directly spoken to a whole lot of these people. It was just more forum type action. It wasn't in, it, certainly not anything like this, but not not really. the The only one that comes to mind was someone basically like me who had an experience and was just kind of like, "Hey, I don't know what this was. Could it be spirits? You know, could it have been you know alien activity? This sort of thing." So, not a whole lot. The my personal opinion on something like that like if you're speaking about this like a crossover or maybe if they're the same thing which in my opinion they could be um, talking about you know ghost and alien activity um, it could all be related so to kind of touch on that whole subject that room that I mentioned that that happened in um, the interesting thing about that room was no one ever really felt comfortable in there except for maybe my grandparents because they had lived there for so long um, like I mentioned my friend Daniel and I had several other friends in our group they were never really comfortable in that room because I would kind of it was like a, a it's like a joke almost to me it was kind of a, a cruel joke because it, it's not a good feeling to be inside that room but you know I'd say hey go in that room and the, you know every single person that would go in there says that they don't it's just an uncomfortable room not necessarily a lot of weird stuff has happened in there but there were like noises every so often in that house that would happen but I mostly attribute that to the house I mean the house was built in I think 1904 so it was extremely old mm-hmm. but the fact of when it was built and the town that it was in had some history with paranormal stuff like witch activity and, and that's all documented because North Carolina it was around the Salem area you know I'm sure you've heard of Salem yep. witch trials and things like that um, it was a hot spot for a lot of the witch activity and paranormal reports um, ranging from like the mid 60s to early 90s kind of time. So that's another thing that kind of fueled the whole spirits, demons, ghosts aspect. I thought going back on the, the room itself, I read a really interesting theory that these not I hate I hate the word portal, but almost like a portal. These occurrences uh, they open up and activity happens for a while, and then they close back due to whatever natural effect, and then it just stops. Because what I've noticed with a lot of poltergeist activity and things that people have reported is that it starts, it gets really bad, and then it just stops. And so I thought, hey, you know, maybe what I saw or what I experienced was just, you know, maybe it's gone now. But even to this day, I've actually revisited that house since we've moved away. There's a new family there. I wasn't actually able to ask them anything specific about the room. I was honestly kind of embarrassed. Um, I just came up and said, hey, you know, I used to live here. I would love to see the place. And, you know, I went to my room and I went to the other room. And sure enough, it's, I mean, it's still just as weird as ever. You just get this very strange I don't know, feeling, it's really hard to explain. A lot of people report like temperature differences or, you know, hair standing on end. It, it's not It's not anything like that. You just get this really, have you ever been in a car with someone who's not a very good driver? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's almost like that. That is exactly what it feels like. Yeah. This has been a somewhat recent visit and it still feels that way to me. 
like I said, I wish I had asked the family if they'd had anything happen, but they haven't. So it still kind of lingers in my head from time to time whether or not it could be spiritual activity, I guess. But I've started in recent years to kind of lean towards the whole alien abduction aspect of it because going back to what happened in my arms, it just, you know, people have reported injuries from paranormal activity before, ghosts and things like that, but this, it almost seemed like too perfect of a storm. The the light, the figure that I saw, you know, the injuries I had on my arms, it was just all too common with stories that I had started coming across from other people, um, especially compounded with the effect of seeing the light, like, you know, the UFO, quote unquote, uh, that me and my friend Daniel saw. It was, um, I don't know, it just seemed too too similar to uh, alien activity. Of course, no one could say for sure. I can't say for sure, at least. So I've started leaning more towards that. But the, the spiritual aspect is something that I was definitely into for a, for a while. Yeah, I would agree. It definitely sounds more an alien type event, especially with your injuries, because they sound almost medical rather than maybe something that someone would report in a haunting situation where it's a bit more random, like scratches or something like that, bruises. But this sounds far more precise and something you would get at the doctors, you could say. Yeah. One other thing, speaking back on that, that I wanted to mention too, I was a little bit older when this happened. It was, like I said, maybe 14 or 15. I had begun scratching my head a little bit. I've always had a little bit of a dry scalp issue. And I was scratching my head and I noticed that it started to bleed uh, a little bit. And I asked my mother, if she was still living with us at the time, and I asked her to come in here and look at my head because it, it really hurt. Um, she took a pair of tweezers and she pulled, it was almost like a little black knot out of my scalp. And and it left a hole in my scalp. It was weird because it was very heavy. So, I mean, I don't know the whole implant aspect. You know, people report pieces of metal coming out of their body after years of something happening to them. So that's, that's just another weird thing that I had happen to me. Never, never got explained. Um, I think my mother threw that away. I kind of wish she hadn't done that now, but it's been so long ago. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. 
If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Have you ever seen any artwork or heard anyone sort of report the being that you saw with the type of, as you kind of said, almost like a hammerhead shark type head? No. So uh, online forum boards and things like that, uh, I've, I've put up drawings, I've posted drawings and stuff of what I had seen before the silhouette and no one, not a single person has ever come forward saying that they'd seen anything similar. I've done tons of research, nothing similar that I could ever come across. So, so no. Do you remember any other characteristics like height or anything like that? Um, well, with my age, I know it was definitely taller than me. Mm-hmm. Uh, that much I know. So there's a there's a bar. You know, there's there a bar in the middle of the window where it lifts up or down. And so it was a double pane window. So it's quite a large window. Okay. It's I guess it's its head. I guess I would say the top of whatever it was um, went over the middle of that bar. I remember that. Um, so it was definitely taller than I was, but if I had to give it a height estimate now, thinking back on the dimensions of the room and the window, because my room was the exact same, had the same exact types of windows and stuff, I guess it would have been about maybe five and a half feet. Um, it wasn't particularly tall, but it was definitely taller than me at the time, which definitely added to the uh, the scary factor at the time. So Going back to the very first friend you spoke to about this topic. Did that friend have any experiences of their own or was it just more they had a bit of an interest and a bit of a background on the topic? Basically just an interest, not necessarily anything that she ever told me about that had happened to her particularly. She had seen um, what she said was a UFO in the same area that we lived in before. Uh, she saw a cigar-shaped one, which I'm sure that, you know, you know, there's a lot of reports of that type of UFO. Mm-hmm. But she said that that's about the only thing that she had ever happened to her that I can recall. Um, definitely nothing major that she often spoke about. It did have something serious to happen to her like that. She never talked about it. So I think it was more of just a personal interest. Yeah, fair enough. Just because, as we're kind of saying, not necessarily a lot of people you grow up with have much of an interest. You know, maybe right. some people might think a little bit about it, but no one necessarily, as you grow up, I found was researching or kind of looking into it. It was a bit of a, a weird thing to do. But then it's funny too, because I think in this day and age, you ask most people about extraterrestrial life and they definitely don't deny it, but they still can't get their minds around the idea of being visited and these abduction experiences happening. Right. Um, we'll say my friend Daniel, he definitely believed and had a personal interest in this stuff. Years later, you know, I was about 18. I think my friend Daniel saw also saw a cigar-shaped UFO, but he was up in the mountains away from the local area that we were in. Uh, there's also a, a hot spot that you may want to look up or you may have already heard of it, actually really close to where we lived called Brown Mountain. And, yes, the Brown um, Mountain Lights. Yeah, I've actually been there and seen those lights before wow, okay. because we live so close to the mountain. I often hear about people going out in groups. Often people see a lot of activity up there. Yeah, for sure. And the cool thing about Brown Mountain is, I mean, if you if you go there at night, I mean, you're pretty much guaranteed to see at least one one of the, the flashes happen. So it's, it's a very interesting area. You know, there's been a lot of debate. And uh, I actually personally know a lot of people that live on that mountain range. And there's been a lot of speculation as to whether or not it's it's gas. You know, there, there is actually a lot of seismic activity there. 
So a lot of people think it's gas or you know methane explosions or whatnot and something natural happening. But a lot of the people that live there, the story is that it's it's native spirits. So I don't know. I just kind of want to add that uh, as a cliff note. So because that's not something that you see reported on a lot from the I guess the more major places like Coast to Coast AM or you know things like that. They always say it's yeah. you know alien activity, but it's it's pretty rooted and a pretty common story that people who don't even know each other that live there know that it's that's you know indian spirits are what's causing that so i just yeah. thought that was interesting to add as a cliff note no that is interesting so in your opinion what's the whole concept behind abduction do you think why would these beings be visiting and taking people well i okay so again i'm i'm a skeptic at heart but i do have my favorite theories i guess you could say yep. um I'm a very evidence-oriented person, and from what I've seen and what I've collected, zoo theory is probably the most likely for our situation. You know, the, the theory that we're just basically on a, a giant zoo, um, you know, life around the galaxy or in our you know star cluster or whatever has been either deemed special or is dying out. And I think they're protecting us, but I think in order to do that, they they learn more about us. And I think that's possibly why if... If they are indeed what they are, you know, aliens. Uh, why? That's I think that's why they abduct us is to to learn from us to help preserve us. However, a lot of people, as I'm sure you obviously know, have had very bad physically damaging experiences, very negative experiences, which kind of goes against that theory. But again, that's just kind of my thoughts on that. Yeah, I definitely think that's a really good way of looking at it because that's. It's very plausible and makes a lot of sense in that way. I've heard a lot about people who have the more negative experience. It's really comes down to a lot of what sort of headspace you're in. Because I hear from a lot of people who have good experiences. And that's great because I think they get into that headspace of it's not necessarily a negative thing. They're maybe needed for a greater purpose or they're a part of something that they might not understand. But then, yeah, the people who have maybe more of this negative experience, that might just be because they do have a little bit more of a negative spin on it and aren't quite as open to what's going on. In my opinion, looking back at my experience from a third person perspective, mm -hmm. I don't think it was really positive, but it also wasn't inherently negative. I just think it, it was what it was. Um, yeah. Again, I felt terrified because I, I didn't understand it and I still don't understand it. And I think that's where a lot of my fear comes from. And growing up and maturing has allowed me to understand that. But my experience in particular from a third person, you know, if I were to just write this down and tell somebody, I mean, it would be a, I guess, a neutral experience. Again, I remember the, the couple of seconds of just there being nothing. I mean, honestly, that was probably pretty peaceful, you know, all the, the scary stuff aside. Again, I don't remember specifically anything insanely positive. I wasn't, you know, extremely physically damaged in any way other than the, the marks on my arms, which again, went away. Yeah, it was kind of a, a neutral ordeal for me. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. I think too, even myself, doing a lot of research and talking to a lot of people about this topic. From what I have sort of gathered, even though the concept doesn't really frighten me anymore, but I know if I was put into that situation where I was conscious and saw something, like, regardless, that's going to be a frightening event. Probably a lot of people are going to have that exact same thing of the shock at first and then hopefully uh, just coming away and being a little bit more neutral about it rather than negative. Like I said, I've I've seen both ends of the of the spectrum. You know, like you said, reported. And to be honest, whenever I first started researching these things, like I mentioned, when I had internet access and met my friend. Um, a lot of the negative ones came my way, mm -hmm. and 
I feel like that may have worsened how I felt at the time because again, it was still it was still a hard thing to deal with, and sometimes it still can be on a day to day basis. So with these people that have these negative stories, you know, if anyone listens to this and has had an experience, I mean, you know, maybe don't put it straight out there to people who don't aren't open to these kinds of things. It, it's a very scary thing, even for normal people to think about. I mean, of course, we have Hollywood movies like Independence Day, it's like the, the big bad aliens are here to, to kill us all. And I mean, I think it's just all misunderstood. And I think putting a negative or in some cases a positive spin can also harm the general outlook on whether or not there actually is extraterrestrial life so and that's why i've been somewhat reserved about telling my story is because in my situation i know that reading those really really scared me at the time because you know is it going to happen again is what happened to me was it something bad that's going to happen to me later like is it going to show back up you know later in my body like is it going to react some way that i don't know yet um there's all those kinds of things just really really scared me and made it worse and that took a lot of time to kind of get over of course Do you think outside of abductions that there is any other interaction, say, with government officials or anything like that where I suppose the conspiracy starts to come into it? Uh, Again, with most everything, I have my personal opinion and then I have my understanding at face value of what those kind of reports are. Mm -hmm. I think you're more or less talking about like men in black type encounters or people specifically in, you know, dealing with these types of things at a government level. I think our governments are just as, as confused and possibly quite as scared as we are. That is my face value understanding of it. I think that... Obviously, with great power comes great responsibility. Very famous quote. I really think that the officials who do know what's going on, and I do think that our governments do know more than we do, but I don't think they understand it. I don't think anybody does. I don't think we're in any kind of hard communication with extraterrestrial life. I don't think that we're hoarding or hiding ETs anywhere. Again, I think everyone who is in those are in those departments dealing with this type of thing, uh, which those departments are very real. I understand that at both face and personal opinion value. I think they're just as confused as everybody else is, yeah. to be completely honest. Now, as far as personal opinion type stuff goes, I think that the government manipulates a lot of information in the public about extraterrestrial life because with more confusion, it leads people further away from the truth and the most powerful tool that our government has is information. I mean, even in recent years, um, I'm sure you've heard all about Edward Snowden and WikiLeaks and um, CIA probing Facebook and things like that. I mean, information is the currency, is the weapon of today. It's just how it is. So personally, I do think that government agents could very well have been sent to people's personal homes to harass them, to subdue or confuse them even further on what they had seen, um, just to assist covering up what they do know. Because again, in my personal opinion, I think if what they knew became public knowledge, there would be mass panic, not only for the fact that they had known for so long, but just at the face value of, hey, maybe this has some reality to it. See, so, I mean, I think, I think Men in Black, I think the possibility is extremely real. I don't, there's no doubt in my mind that something like that organization could exist. Now, as far as whether they are, you know, whether or not they're actually aliens, terrorizing people that look like humans or reptilians, I don't think that's a thing. 
But I mean, you can take a look at, I, I hate to use Area 51 as, as an example because I have very strong opinions on what that place is. But yeah. I mean, if you look at any government facility, specifically, I guess, Area 51, if you get anywhere close to it, you get harassed and sent away. And that's very simply because they don't want any information that they don't control leaving the area, such as photographs or even word of mouth. And I think that they have that type of control on most aspects. And I think that's a good thing in a lot of, in a lot of ways. A lot of people are for disclosure, government disclosure. And honestly, I think it's a really bad idea. If the public got a hold of full disclosure of everything that our nations know, it would be bad because... Of course, certain nations have certain enemies. I mean, ISIS is a thing now. Those are very real threats. Information, again, is a huge weapon. And with everybody knowing these things, there are a million and a half things that could go wrong, very wrong for a lot of people. And that's scary to me. So, I mean, I think I think disclosure is a bad thing. I think government officials harassing people is very real, just simply to control information. Do I think reptilians are real? Do I think reptilians are MIBs? No. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think our government's just as scared as we are, to be honest. Yeah. So. And like the reason I ask is uh, I did a, the very first podcast I put out this year. I kind of broke down some topics about like government involvement through like the years of alien abduction, UFO sightings and things like that. My outcome was I personally don't really care about that aspect of it. I don't think what they're withholding is necessary information. This conversation we're having right now where we're sort of breaking down what we think's going on, it's like we already have the answer. I think if you're talking with people who have these experiences, they're going to know far more than any government official. They're experiencing it firsthand. They're the ones who are being told certain information, experiencing these events. I think the answer is already kind of there, whether or not they know what that is, because they might have to kind of unlock that within time or they might never know, as we were kind of mm-hmm. talking about earlier. But I think the evidence and like the informations with people like us, you know, who are open to talking about this and the people having these experiences, I don't think it's in a filing cabinet, you know, hidden away necessarily because, you know, I'm sure what they're keeping away is, of course, as you said, if everyone knew this information, there's, there's things that just had to be kept secret, you know, for the greater good, of course. And I think that information, what is being held away, doesn't necessarily change what we're talking about right now. You have more chance of finding that answer within yourself than hidden away somewhere. Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, definitely, um, definitely agree with that. I mean, the first hand is the, the the individual basis is what matters. I mean, sure, there is some kind of greater truth out there to everything, but again, if that's affecting you on a personal level, then I think the personal answer is probably what you need to seek first of all, anyways. Yeah. So exactly, you know, and I would love to hear what actually happened at Roswell, of course. But at the end of the day, you're not going to find out, so you can. Speculate, And I heard a podcast recently of one of the guys who has written books on Roswell and he pretty much started from scratch. He put out this new book where he tried to look at it from the other side of the fence so that it was a hoax. And through having that mindset, he found no evidence at all that could connect it back to a UFO pretty much. Speaking specifically on Roswell and Area 51, you know, I mentioned I have a very strong opinion about what happened there. To preface this, I have to respect Roswell and Area 51. It's kind of the same way with Flat Earth and the fact that it makes people skeptical and makes people curious, and that's a good thing. Yes. However, at its core, so 
again, another kind of preface here. I knew a guy who is a, he's a boiler engineer. He installs big boilers for food companies all over the world. Super great guy, super awesome guy. His grandfather firsthand was at Roswell. That's what his grandfather did too. He installed boilers and government contracts, military contracts. He was actually there whenever Roswell happened. From what he told me, from what his grandfather told him, it was basically local sensationalism. You know, the famous story of the sheriff who found the the piece of mylar type material yeah. and brought it to the the restaurant and it unfoiled in the same pattern and it was all local sensationalism and it's kind of funny how that mirrors today because if you've seen any recent pictures or footage from the actual town Roswell it's all about aliens you know you see little green men everywhere it's it's a selling point yeah, um, it's a tourist attraction and that's cool you know I, I get that that that's that's awesome you know it's a little culture and I have to respect that but at the same time it's that same type of sensationalism that reflects and ripples in most paranormal type things and it it doesn't get any closer to what actually happened but yeah the local sensationalism from what I was told is what caused most of the the big attraction at Roswell thinking it was a alien and you know little green men being dead outside of the ship and stuff but uh, what his grandfather told him it was from what he had heard from his friends on base because he apparently just got through being there and installing things there mm-hmm. um, it was a downed Russian spy plane essentially that had some kind of new scanning or camera photography type technology on it uh, that was unknown to us at the time and it raised um, alerts basically because it signaled because you have to think Cold War was still a thing Mm -hmm. then and it raised a lot of flags because that meant Russia had stuff that we did not and that's why it became such a huge deal military wise that's why the the defenses were put up that's why Roswell was basically quarantined for two days so that's that's what I was told. Word of mouth from apparently someone who was there, which I believe my friend, uh, he's a great guy. So that's that's my personal opinion is what it was. And it makes sense when you go back and actually look at the specifics of of what happened that day. I mean, it makes more sense in retrospect that it's a it was just government versus government. A lot of cover-ups happened and local sensationalism. Well, that was a great little bit of information. Why do you think when that first newspaper release came out from the military that they claimed that they had a UFO rather than them just saying that they had a weather balloon. So that's actually interesting because I have a very specific opinion about that. Our government, because, so the sensationalism really blew up after Roswell for UFOs and aliens. I mean, that's often the most cited. It is the most cited thing as far as actual events, you know, going on and occurring yeah, that's referred to. I think our government has known about alien interaction and UFOs and things like that for much longer than people realize. There are very old World War One Air Force documents of ace pilots that had essentially been flying their whole life giving reports of these craft that they couldn't identify. And they've basically been buried because wartime and maybe it was a new type of plane and you know they, they, they were steamed as like crazy and some of them one guy was actually executed for claiming that he had seen enemies where they were not and giving false information there's a lot of stuff that happened way prior to roswell so what i think happened there was the government again just colluded information whether or not they purposefully did it as an alien story or if they just put it out as an alien story to um, to boil what i'm trying to say down they put out that crazy story in an effort to shroud what they actually had as much as possible. Because if Russia found out that 
they had that technology, that their plane had been downed, you know, whatever, it could have had serious consequences, at least in the government's eyes. I think it was just to cover it up. And that's just the story that they went with. I think a bunch of bunch of big hats in a boardroom sat down and said, what do we do? And one guy was like, well, let's put out something crazy and said that they stay as far away from the truth as possible. And I think that's what happened. And on top of the town's sensationalism, because you know you got to think, War of the Worlds was also, uh, I think, on radio slightly before that. So the the idea had already been, you know, kind of out and about. So I think this is kind of what happened. It's just a culmination of the town's sensationalism and the government's attempt to get a, get as far away from what actually happened as possible. Yeah, which makes perfect sense once again. You know, to really throw people off and. It really makes you think back to like the 40s, the 50s, when people would snap these photos of flying saucers because really that's the best kind of evidence we have because really the culture wasn't there at that time. People didn't know what aliens were necessarily. When farmers would snap these pictures, it really makes you question if there was any motive at all to hoax something or even to the point where did they even know that was something you could hoax. All that sort of evidence is much more likely, in my opinion, to be real before, you know, the whole kind of hoaxing craze kind of kicked off. I think, uh, in my opinion, one of the most interesting eras for UFO uh, information is the late 1800s. There are so many reports of falling stars or, you know, burning skies, burning clouds. Because, you know, you don't know how to... At that time, people didn't know... Yeah. how else to explain it. So a lot of these stories go overlooked. It's like, in, in, okay, in the Bible, uh, have you, I'm sure you've read the book of Ezekiel because the whole UFO implication. Yeah, so it's, you know, it's kind of like that, the whole burning chariot, burning wheel, having like a four-headed deity come out of a craft. I mean, uh, that's how people had to explain these things. Mm. And when you look at that specific time period in the late 1800s, there is a lot of that happening. And one of the, the more interesting theories is that and it's actually it's actually kind of interesting when you think about it is it was world war one anytime that there's a war or a major conflict about to happen there's a small well small to medium increase in these types of reports Hmm. um conflict areas in particular i mean vietnam uh granted everybody was high on acid um or at least a lot of people were you know there were there were a lot of reports uh, Pre-Vietnam conflict, where we were actually just uh, setting up base bases there along the Laotian border, a lot of soldiers reported seeing strange clouds and these rainbow-type formations. And if you look pre-conflict, there are a ton of those, specifically mm. before World War One, around England, things of that nature, or places of that nature, mostly northern, kind of Western Europe. There are a ton of really interesting reports different news articles newspaper articles and things like that that you they're all public record too uh, but yeah there's a there's a lot of that stuff and it goes ignored because simply people use different words instead of saying ufo or alien you mm. know they said chariot or yeah. saucer or you know fire wheel it's interesting too of that time before a large conflict would happen because if the case of extraterrestrials coming here is to kind of monitor us and to actually keep us alive, if there was a conflict about to happen, that would make sense for more sightings and activity right before that conflict kicked off, of course. Yeah, I think there's a lot of truth when you kind of look at it like that. 
Christian, I'd just like to thank you for coming on the podcast, sharing your experience with everyone. I hope people get something out of this and really enjoy it overall. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I had a great time discussing everything. I hope it wasn't uh, too out there for you, uh, but I would like to come back on. And thanks again for all the awesome questions that actually, um, actually really helped me to talk about it too. So I do appreciate that. Well, I'm glad it's also helped you and hopefully, as I said, it will help other people and you're always welcome back. We'll definitely make that happen. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.